Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This week on Parts Per Billion, we're all doomed, or are we? Yes, yes we are. But are we really? Yes. We are talking today about the future of climate change and also human civilization with the reporter who just got back from a pretty bleak climate conference, Bobby McGill. Gene Dobre, welcome back to Parts Per Billion, the podcast from Bloomberg Environment. I'm your host, David Schultz. I hope you all had a lovely holiday season out there because things are going to be getting pretty bleak today. We're going to be discussing the future of climate change with Bloomberg Environment's Bobby McGill. Bobby just got back from an international climate conference in Poland, and based on his reporting from there, things aren't looking that great. We will see if Bobby can offer us some rays of hope later on in the program. But first, we've got the famous Parts Per Billion news quiz, as you probably know by now. The way this works is we bring in a couple of reporters and ask them a few questions about what happened in the news this week. This is a totally serious, not jokey quiz, so you guys better bring your A-games. Very The stakes are very high. Uh, today, we actually, today is a first for the news quiz in that we have not just uh, uh, reporters, but also an editor. Thank you for joining us to our editor, Chuck McCutcheon, and we also, of course, have Bobby McGill. Let's get started. Question number one. Uh... Today is January 8th. We are now in the 18th day of the federal government shutdown. However, this is not the longest shutdown ever. How long was the longest federal government shutdown ever? Bobby is ringing in. 21 days. That is correct. That is a very, very correct answer. 21 days. The longest shutdown ever lasted from December 15th, 1995 through January 6th, 1996. This will become the longest shutdown ever if it goes past this Friday, and all signs are pointing to it doing just that. The score is one to zero. Um, question number two. There was some deal-making in Congress this week. Uh, the 116th Congress has convened, and they're already cutting some deals. The EPA uh, agreed to stop trying to repeal an Obama-era protection on farm workers who are exposed to pesticides in exchange Senate Democrats agreed to do what? So the EPA said, we were, we're trying to repeal these farm worker protections, but we're not going to do that anymore. In exchange, Democrats will do what, Chuck McCutcheon? Move nominations forward. That is also correct. Uh, the uh, Senate Democrats agreed to stop blocking two EPA appointees. One of them was Alex Dunn, the head of the chemicals office, which oversees farm worker protections. And the other one was Chad McIntosh, the head of international and tribal affairs. So it looks like 
Democrats are in a deal-cutting mood, at least when it comes to that, although not when it comes to uh, reopening the government, although it doesn't seem like Republicans want to cut any deals there either. Question number three, the score is one-to-one. This question will determine who uh, wins this week's quiz, and it has to do with where uh, you just were, Bobby McGill. Marius Tchaikovsky holds the NHL record for most points scored by a Polish national. He's also from a town just 70 miles north of Katowice, which is where the climate conference you were just at is held. How many points did he score over his 14 seasons in the NHL? Uh, And just to clarify, this is prices right rules, which means that whoever wins will be the person who comes closest without going over. So you both could, why don't you both guess how many points did Mark uh, Marius Tchaikovsky, the leading Polish NHL point scorer score. And then, and also here's another, you guys are looking a little puzzled here. Another hint, Wayne Gretzky has the all time uh, record with 2,857 points. Uh, Marius Tchaikovsky is significantly worse than, Wayne Gretzky. He does not approach 2,857. I'll say 200. 200. Chuck goes to 200. 352. 352. Your experience in Poland must have helped you out because you are right, Bobby McGill. Marius Tchaikovsky scored 435 points in his uh, 16 seasons in the league. He played for Boston, Edmonton, the New York Islanders, Montreal, and Toronto. Congratulations, Bobby. Sorry, Chuck. Um, <laughs> you, you look really crestfallen there. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are now going to take a quick break and come back with more of Bobby's thoughts on what went down in Poland and maybe uh, whether Marius Tchaikovsky uh, thinks that uh, climate change is real. Uh, stay tuned, and uh, we will be right back. And we're back with Bloomberg Environment's Bobby McGill, who just got back from Katowice, where he was... Katowice. Katowice, sorry, it rhymes with pizza. Katowice, thank you, Bobby. For some context here, at the 21st conference a few years ago, the world reached the landmark Paris Climate Agreement. So this UN climate group is a pretty big deal. Uh, But before we get into what happened in Poland, tell me about the place where it was held, this... uh, Katowice? Yeah, so Katowice is is a city west of Krakow and uh, about 25 miles north of uh, Auschwitz, actually, in southern Poland. It's a, it's a coal-producing region, um, and the site of COP24 uh, was literally on top of a closed coal mine. Um, and <laughs> the city of Katowice, you know, everybody at the uh, you know, countries in the city uh, had these um, exhibits at COP24, and Katowice's exhibit was all about coal, and they had like piles of coal in a case, and you could go and it, they showed you how to order a uh, like jewelry um, made of coal nuggets. Which, and we should mention, coal is is one of the primary uh, contributors of of uh, greenhouse gases to the environment. The burning of coal. Um, it sounds like the the air pollution or the air quality in uh, this at this conference was was not great, from what you mentioned. Well, it varies. Uh, the city of Katowice's um, air quality is actually a bit better than the surrounding regions, but you know most southern Polish households burn coal in their in their furnaces 
to heat their homes. And, uh, you know, you can walk down the street and you can see it billowing out of the out of their chimneys. And it, it's it's a you know, the, the air quality there is pretty choking. So speaking of uh, coal, you know, the U.S. was uh, sent some representatives to to Poland and, and it seems like they were uh, talking about coal. But I get the sense they didn't get a very warm reception. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, COP24 and the Paris Climate Agreement are... Oh, and we should say, sorry to, to interrupt there, Bobby, uh, COP. Well, let's explain what COP is. It's COP is an acronym that stands for it's Conference the of the Parties. It's the 24th Conference of the Parties to the United Nations uh, Framework Convention on Climate Change, <laughs> or COP24. COP, COP is a much uh, easier way to, to, to say that. <laughs> And so the, the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement was struck at COP21. 21. Yeah. And uh, this conference solidified, you know, some of the rules for implementing that agreement. Right. Anyway, sorry. Getting back to the U.S. at COP24, which was in Poland. The U.S. Uh, sent some representatives over to Poland to, uh, you know, participate in this conference. Uh, but it seemed like, based on your reporting, they mainly wanted to talk about coal. What, what was going on there? Yeah, so keep in mind that this is the the globe's primary coordinated effort to solve a, uh, you know, what happens to be a, you know, a, a, a crisis facing humanity, right? And the Trump administration walks in, um, and they did this the previous year as well at COP23 in, in Bonn, um, and they basically wanted to talk about coal and and the the wonders of of fossil fuels. Um, you know, Wells Griffith, the uh, you know uh, one of Trump's um, energy and climate advisors, walks in and he stands up before uh, a room full of activists and journalists um, and said, "Alarmism should not silence realism." And their attitude is. It's not realistic to wean ourselves away from fossil fuels. So they want to. They were promoting the idea that we can burn fossil fuels cleanly. And how did the activists and, and journalists react to that? Um, did they they didn't carry him out on on their shoulders, did they? No, they uh, tried to stop the the proceedings. And um, you know, this was a side event. It wasn't the actual yeah. negotiations, obviously. And they they demanded that they. You know that the U.S. keep it in the ground, referring to oil and coal. And uh, Griffith's, Griffith's response was, um, "You know, it's it's not realistic to keep it in the ground. We we have to burn it." Okay, so let's get to the actual conference itself. Um, you know, you meant we mentioned COP twenty one that was in Paris, uh, yep. where the Paris uh, Agreement was reached. That was this huge landmark agreement. Was there any new agreements that were reached at uh, this most recent one in Poland, or was this just kind of an incremental type thing? Well, COP24 was about finalizing the rule book for implementing the Paris Climate Agreement, which means that, um, you know, the, the Paris Agreement can't go into force, really, um, without these rules. And uh, this was the next step in the process. Um, so they accomplished that to a point. There were a couple of, uh, you know, emissions accountability questions that they punted to COP25 uh, sometime in the next year. and Which, um, by the way, is going to be in Santiago, Chile, right? In Chile, yeah. Yeah. But we don't know exactly when yet. Mm. So it sounds like, you know, they maybe made some uh, decisions, but not really that many. Well, it's significant. Um, but I think what may be more significant or just as significant on top of the rule book um, was this idea of ambition and trying to this political movement to encourage countries to um, go above and beyond their commitments to cut climate pollution 
um, that they made as part of the 2015 Paris Agreement. So, um, you know, you had uh, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres standing up and, you know, framing uh, this is an urgent crisis that needs to be solved. Um, and he sort of framed it in moral terms as well. But the, and that actually leads me really nicely into my next question, which is that, you know, we all know that the U.S. has pulled out of the Paris Agreement. I mean, I think. Well, we haven't we, pulled out yet. We haven't pulled we, out. You're right. I was about to, to mention that we have technically have not pulled out yet. We have signaled our intent to correct. pull out of the agreement. Given that, is this the conference of the parties? Is this UN, you know, convention on climate change? Is this becoming sort of irrelevant if the U.S. doesn't participate in this, and it's just every country except for the U.S. and a few others? Does this really matter anymore, or could this actually still make a big impact on the issue of climate change, even if the U.S. is not a part of it? I think if other countries come together and uh, cut their own emissions despite you know the potential absence of the US I think it's better than nothing um, but you know the next administration could could bring the US back into the agreement so um, it's important for the agreement to be there for the for this process to be ongoing um, because I mentioned as I mentioned earlier this really is the the only the globe's only uh, coordinated effort to, to take to address climate change so this is where we get into the uh, possibly depressing uh, section of the, of the podcast uh, because I the I've been was reading your dispatches from Poland, and one of the things that really you know they reminded me or really highlighted for me is just how little time the uh, you know world has to address climate change before we see some really significant kind of scary impacts. Do you um, do you see any reasons to believe that? that will happen or that could happen or that we can avoid, you know, the worst of the the uh, consequences of climate change or based on what you heard in Poland and what you've been reading, do you see the, the you know, all signs point to things getting worse before they get better, if they ever get better? Well, things are going to get worse before they get better. The, the science says that. Yeah, um, I guess maybe let me rephrase that. Will things ever get better? There, there's there's a significant amount of warming that's, that's sort of baked into the system, right? Um, the question is, can humanity prevent it from getting significantly worse? And uh, I think that's an open question. I, you know, there's there's obviously a, you know momentum in uh, some parts of the world to to take this seriously and uh, you know to cut to cut emissions as as much as palatable. But you know, people are still you know fossil fuels are still an integral part of the global economy, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, but companies are making announcements to cut their their uh, their carbon footprint. Um, local governments are doing the same. A number of countries are taking this seriously. That's a positive step. So you think that maybe that you know the the rate the rays of hope, in as much as they are rays of hope, are come from uh, you know maybe smaller countries other than the U.S. and uh, companies, the private sort of industry. Well, I think that you know as the impacts of climate change become more evident to average people when they see extreme weather affecting them in ways that it never used to, um, you know, they are going to be demanding action at some point. Um, and some of them already are. And I think that when politicians hear that, um, that that may make a difference. All right. That was Bloomberg Environments, Bobby McGill talking about the UN Climate Conference in Katowice, Poland. Uh, for more of his reporting, visit our website at news.bloombergenvironment.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergenvironment.com. 
www.parsonsrevealing.com. And this episode of Pars Revealing was produced by myself with help from Jessica Coombs. Our editor is Marissa Horn, and our audio engineer is Nicholas Anzalata. The music for Pars Revealing this week is A Message by Jazar and Polsky Obertoski by Mecheslaw Kazowski. Thank you for listening. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.